We're now drawing close to the end of our journey through Philippians. Just a couple more weeks and then we get into Advent. And I started this series meaning for it just to be for the summer, which is why the theme has the word flip-flop in it. Quit your flip-flopping and get your joy in Jesus. But I quickly saw that it was going to go on longer than the summer. And here we are in November, still learning how to kick off our flip-flops by getting joy in Jesus. And getting joy is serious business. It's not for the faint-hearted, but it's been an encouraging journey. And it's amazing thinking that this letter that's all about joy and all about Jesus was written by someone in jail looking at his potential execution. Like I said, joy is serious business. Let's read today's scripture from Philippians chapter 4, starting at verse 2. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have laboured side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, this letter is one that would have been written or would have been read out loud in in front of the congregation. Um, And in this context, Paul uh, outs or draws attention to two women who appear to have been having some sort of a conflict. Now, we aren't told exactly what it is, but we are told that these are both women who have earned the respect of Paul. They've laboured shoulder to shoulder with Paul in the cause of the gospel, and now Paul is encouraging, encouraging someone in the in the congregation. We aren't sure exactly who, but he refers to them as um, true true companion. And now, so he's encouraging this person to to come alongside them and to help them mend their differences. He's entreating them by reminding them of what's truly important, that what unites them is stronger than what divides them. He mentions three things. Firstly, that they've invested their lives in the spread of the gospel. This is something that unites them. They they also both have the love and the respect of Paul. And then the third thing is that both of their names are written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And so based on this foundation, Paul encourages them to sort out the differences. And it it must have been a pretty big difference for Paul to have heard about it all the way over in Rome and to be writing to them about it all the way back in Philippi. So he's writing to Yordi and Syntyche and he's also writing to the church at Philippi and he's writing to us. The foundational statement of today's scripture is in verse 5 where it says five words the Lord is at hand your your translation might say the Lord is near but I like the Lord is at hand because it means he's right there he's within your grasp he's conveniently placed himself he's conveniently placed himself right there for your joy and for your comfort we've all heard this phrase clutching at straws the idea that you're that that you're out of options and so anything looks good right now even if it's flimsy and you know it's going to tear away in a moment if you're falling 
down a steep bank towards a cliff edge. You're going to grip anything. You're not going to be choosy. A bush, some grass, a sheep wandering by if you're in Wales. But here we're told that the Lord is at hand. This isn't clutching at straws. This is something more profound, more steadfast. As Psalm 46 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. So God is as present as your cell phone, as Siri. And that's where we start today. The Lord is at hand. Everything else in our passage today builds from this foundation. The Lord is at hand. He's the weapon under your pillow. He's the friend who's just a phone call away. He's the bodyguard who follows you. He's your first responder. He responds faster than it takes to microwave a bowl of chicken soup. He's there, poised to intervene. The Lord is at hand, but the question is, do you believe this? Let's move on to verse 4. And it's because the Lord is at hand that we can rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. How could we rejoice in the Lord if he wasn't at hand? The fact that he's right there, that he is near, gives us the permission that we need to rejoice in him. You can only pump pump gas into your car if A, you're in a gas station, and B, if there's gas in the tanks underneath the gas station. Because the fuel is right there, you can fuel up. Because the Lord is at hand, you can rejoice in him. It's simple. So not only is he right there, but he's also inviting you in. There's an invitation here. God is saying, in essence, don't worry. I'm here. You're not alone. Now come on in. In the midst of the circumstance that you find yourself in and find your joy in me, rejoice in the Lord always. So first we are to rejoice. It's a command. It's a mandate. And like I said last week in the sermon on Martin Luther, what God commands, he provides. So if God is commanding us to rejoice, he's going to provide the means to do so. The fuel for our rejoicing is God himself. Rejoicing cannot take a place on its own. Outside of God, rejoicing will fizzle out in seconds. The smallest storm that comes our way will dampen our enthusiasm. But when our joy is found in God, we tap into unlimited wells, like those oil wells in Kuwait during the Gulf conflict that just wouldn't go out. So our joy is irrepressible and restrainable when it is in the Lord. When we reckon on the promise in the Bible that the Lord is at hand, and when we choose to obey the mandate, the command to rejoice in the Lord, we discover that this well of oil runs deep. And no matter how much it rains, that fire keeps on burning. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. George Muller said this, The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. Seriously, how different would my life look if every morning I woke up and said, okay, my first item on the agenda is not to have a cup of coffee or to check my email or to go on to social media, but my first item on the agenda is to get my soul happy in the Lord. And so for me, I'd grab a hymn book, I'd open it up and I'd start reading or singing these hymns to myself. So 
For example, if I was to turn to number 199 in the hymn book, I'd read this. It says, Arise, my soul arise, shake off thy guilty fears, the bleeding sacrifice in my behalf appears. And on and on it goes, expressing how what Christ achieved on, on the cross is impacting my day. So hymns are, are my soul's plan, or my plan to get my soul happy in the Lord. But what's your plan to get your soul happy in the Lord? What's your strategy to rejoice in the Lord always? Because if you don't have a strategy, then you're going to fail every time. If you're hoping that somehow in the moment when you're struggling, that you're just going to somehow stumble into joy, then you're way off. We don't rejoice in warm and vague thoughts of God we rejoice in solid truths like like that hymn that says uh, died he for me who caused him pain for me who him to death pursued amazing love how can it be that thou my God shouldst die for me so whether it's a hymn book or whether it's a, a memorized scripture, whether it's reading a catechism or a, creed, or a creed, whatever it is that connects you to the deep well of God's joy, grab that thing and keep it with you. Have it at hand because the Lord is at hand. Verse 5, let your reasonableness be known to everyone. Now I think that the New International Version uses the word gentleness instead and I think I prefer it because it sums up more of what the original meaning is. The other words that, that we might use instead of reasonableness are graciousness or uncontentiousness. So in these two verses, verse 4 and 5, we're being introduced to a person or to a group of people, a church, who are exuberant with joy, but also gentle. Which is nice because it's not just the super extroverts who walk around saying, I'm so blessed or praise God who are rejoicing in the Lord. It's also the quiet introverts who would be, much rather be getting quietly on with life than living it up in the middle of a celebration. Let your gentleness be known to all. Be known for your gentleness, for your graciousness, for your uncontentiousness. And remember, the, the command to let your gentleness or graciousness be known to everyone is rooted in this truth that the Lord is at hand. So here's how the thinking goes. If you're reckoning on the fact that the Lord is at hand, it frees you from the tendency to be over defensive, to think that your reputation is solely up to you. In fact, it's this thinking that is behind Romans chapter 12, verse 17, where it says this, do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. And if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, verse 19, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, verse 20, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not take revenge, but leave room for God's wrath. So what's the connection between God's wrath and living a gentle life? Well, first of all, in this Romans passage, there's an assumption being made that God is, first of all, present. And secondly, that God is attentive and that God cares about justice a lot more than we do. 
And what's great is that God is not sidetracked by self-interest or maybe petty vendettas like we are. He's not affected by the way that he just woke up or whether he's had a coffee yet. God is God. He's the same. Always the same. So, so just as counting on the Lord being at hand frees the Christian up to love their enemy and to leave justice in God's hand, so counting on the Lord being at hand frees the Christian up to be gentle and to let our gentleness be known to all. And Paul is saying this to Euodia and Syntyche, and he's saying it to us. The Lord is at hand. Relax. Take a breath. Engage with this truth that God is at your fingertips, ready to move. And when this truth starts to bear down on your life, you find that that frustration that was there before has been replaced by gentleness. That negativity or the depression that was there has been replaced by joy. Which is why the passive voice is used here. Because it's something that flows naturally if we only let it. It's not something that has to be drummed up or brought kicking and screaming into existence. Joy and gentleness flow naturally out of the understanding that the Lord is at hand. That the Lord is near. Verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Really? You think Paul actually means this? Do not be anxious about anything? Is there a switch that we can somehow flip that turns us from being anxious individuals into people who are the opposite? Now, there are many ways of dealing with anxiety. There's counselling, there's drinking, there's confiding in a friend, there's smoking marijuana, and there are many other coping mechanisms. When I was a single 22-year-old working on the missionary ship, the Logos 2, I remember hearing about the mothers on the ship who would deal with the stress of living on a ship with 200 people by going down to the engine room to scream as loud as they could. So we all cope with anxiety one way or another. There are some ways that are legit and some that are less so. But here, Paul doesn't just give us coping mechanisms. He gives us a command, a mandate. Do not be anxious about anything. Now here's the thing. If this phrase was taken in isolation, we might have reason to doubt Paul's sanity. But it's not taken in isolation. First of all, it's part of a book where the two main themes are joy and Jesus. Earlier in chapter 2 verse 1, we read about receiving encouragement in Christ. Uh, receiving comfort from love. from uh, About receiving participation in the Spirit. And later on in chapter 2, we read the Christ hymn which talks about Jesus emptying himself. And taking the form of servant and dying on the cross. And then in chapter 3 verse 7, Paul explained that every earthly success he could credit to himself, he has realised is worth nothing compared to knowing Jesus. This is the broad context into which Paul says these amazing words, do not be anxious about anything. But there's also the local context of chapter 4, the fact that the Lord is at hand. And when we apply this truth to our lives, we can live lives of gentle rejoicing. And as we learn to rejoice in the Lord always because he is at hand, and as we let our reasonable or gentleness be our reasonableness or gentleness or graciousness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand, we find ourselves in a place where perhaps we've never been before, a place that seems so foreign to so many people and has been foreign to us up until now, the place where we can obey the command 
to not be anxious about anything. We have space to breathe because the Lord is at hand, because the Lord is smartphone accessible, because he's within easy reach. And Paul has earned the right, you know, to say this. Because remember that he's in prison facing his potential execution and with his guards looking on. He writes this, do not be anxious about anything. Now we know that nature abhors a, a vacuum, which means if, if a space has been made, which if something is removed, then it will be filled in with something else. And a few weeks ago, um, I shared about this. And here what we see is that Paul, he doesn't just leave us with a command or a mandate to not be anxious about anything. He gives us something to fill in the hole that anxiety has vacated. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So prayer becomes our, our fidget toy that helps keep us focused. Prayer is a direct line of communication with God. Now, the only way that we can possibly obey this command to not be anxious about anything is, first of all, if the Lord is at hand, right there, ready to help and intervene. And also, if we have something to do with all this stuff, all this anxiety, this concern, this worry. And so Paul gives us a but, and then he gives us another command. Present your requests to God. Our way out of anxiety is to start communicating with God. This is the overflow pipe that's going to prevent our souls from overflowing with panic and anxiety and worry and fear. In fact, it's better than an overflow, overflow pipe. God, is actually, God actually pulls the plug. This is how it works, ideally. Life's circumstances flow into our soul. And because God has removed this plug, his... His desire is to instantly relieve and receive our worries and concerns. But life is not ideal, of course. As humans, we have a tendency to hold on to the worries and the concerns of life. We don't know how to get rid of them. And so the plug hole starts to get blocked. It's a bit like a bathtub, right? Once in every while, the water in the bathtub refuses to flow away. It sits there. And the longer it sits there, the more stagnant and the more gross it gets. You have that image in your mind, right? With a bath or maybe a shower or a sink. So every few weeks, I need to get my fingers down into the plug hole and grab that little, little ball of hair and slime and nastiness and actually pull it out. And as a side note, I actually really enjoy doing this. My favourite part is when I grab one lone strand of hair and I get a good purchase on it and I start to pull. And before long, that one strand of hair is turned into two strands of hair, into 20 strands, into, into 40 strands. And before long, I'm grabbing fistfuls of hair and I'm pulling them out of the, out of the plug hole, out of the drain hole. It's both gross and incredibly satisfying. And I know that I've done a good job when the water starts to flow again into the plug hole and out of sight. And this is the thing about prayer. We don't suddenly wake up one day and start giving everything over to God, every concern, every worry, every incident. I mean, that's just not realistically how it happens. But 
as God reminds us, we do it one concern at a time. Or, or we, we can remind ourselves, we can keep a shell or a stone in our pocket and as you touch it, you're reminded to hand things over to God. There's this thing that in the past I would have just internalized it, just locked it down deep inside, but now instead I give it over to God. I present my request to him. And this is the spiritual equivalent of grabbing that one strand of hair in the plug hole and starting to cautiously pull. And as I present that request to God who is at hand, who is leading me in a life of gentle joy or gracious exuberance, the next time something comes up, I hand that over to him. It's a quick prayer. It's a whispered mutter under my breath, just quick, just short. And now that thing that that I would have held on to is now his. And before I know it, that single hair has turned into a handful of hairs and the plug is free again. The waters are flowing into my life. The, the, the waters of life's concerns are flowing into my life and out again into God's capable hands. Circumstances no longer have to sit and stagnate because I'm being obedient and obeying God's command to let my requests be made known to him. And in my translation, this is a passive voice. Let your requests in the same way that in verse 5 it's a passive voice let your reasonable bus- let your reasonableness be known to everyone and here let your requests be made known to god and what this says to me is that there is no one who does not have requests we all have them they're either voiced or they're unvoiced and the fact that we have concerns or requests or anxieties is assumed they are They are there. And if 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 they are not handled, then they build up and build up and build up. But here Paul is saying, let the water flow in the way it's supposed to out through the plug hole. That's why the plug hole was created in the first place. Now if the bath water or if the bath starts to fill up with water we do have other options than unplugging the plug we could let it overflow we could drill holes all around the bath to let the water out so it would go up to that level but no further we could even install a sump pump we could plug it in we could drill a permanent hole in the side of the house and run a hose through the hole all the way outside up to the drainage ditch and just let it keep on running but that's a lot of work Plus, it's rather, rather difficult to relax in the bath with a sump pump running. There's an easier way to deal with the water and prevent the overflow of the bath than taking a drill to the side of the bath or installing a sump pump. And that's simply to let the water flow down the drain hole, the plug hole. And the bath was created to let this happen and so all we need to do is to unplug that hole one hair at a time and to keep it clear and when the water starts to back up and fill up we know it's time to work at it again let's let's listen to how the message words our scripture for today from from philippians chapter four don't fret or worry instead of worrying pray let petitions and prayers or let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers letting God know your concerns and before you know it a sense of God's wholeness everything coming together for good will come and settle you down 
It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the centre of your life. Let me share with you some of the questions that we will be wrestling with at our grow groups this week. First one, George Muller said, the, the first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. Now, what practical steps do you take to get yourself happy in the Lord? Share with each other what works for you. Next question, what are your coping mechanisms for dealing with anxiety? Third question, um, yeah, Dan said, we don't rejoice because of warm and vague thoughts of God. We rejoice in solid truths. Do you agree or, or disagree with this statement? Why? Next question. Exactly like your smartphone, the Lord is at hand. Now, how can you use your smartphone to remind you of this truth that the Lord is at hand? And last one is... Yeah, Dan talked about how our worries are like the ball of hair that clogs up the bath drain hole and how we grab one hair that leads to pulling out the, the hole out. How does this picture help you understand how prayer helps us deal with our worries? Let's move on to verse 7. And the peace of God which passes all understanding will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. And what this is saying is that something happens when we start obeying God's command to present our requests to him. His peace sets up guard around our heart. Now I, now I told you a couple of minutes ago that the passive voice was used when Paul said, let your requests be made known to God. Which is saying, let your concerns and requests follow their natural course and flow to God. Now, we're a bit surprised by this passive voice. We're taught to think that prayer is such hard work and a, and a duty that we must do rather than flowing or the, rather than following the natural contours of who God has created us to be. Well, now we hear a surprising active voice. The peace of God will guard. And it's surprising because just as we've been taught that prayer is a blood, grit and tears action, so we're taught that Peace is a passive, floaty, wifty-wafty state of being. We're taught that peace is just something inside us that we need to release or to set free, which is pure nonsense, because true peace, which is, the, which is really the only peace worth knowing, originates outside of us in the very person and nature of God. And true peace is hardcore. True peace is active. True peace is military. True peace sets up a guard around our heart and our mind and it protects us. And of course it surpasses understanding. Of course it does because it does not originate in us. It springs out of God's being and God's person. And thank God it surpasses our understanding because if it did not, it means that it's something that we can create, that we can somehow pat ourselves on the back for. But no, peace is beyond us. We can only get it from God. Now here in this verse, peace is anthropomorphized, which means it's, it's given the characteristics of a person, a bit like the cards in Alice in Wonderland. They're not just playing cards, they're soldiers. They have spears. But if the card soldiers in Alice in Wonderland are a bit silly and make us laugh, God's peace is no laughing matter. It has a mandate and it will carry out that mandate to, to guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. It is there and it will not move. No matter how much the enemy charges against it, God's peace will stand its ground. And the foundation for the steadfastness of this peace is Jesus Christ himself. It is immovable. 
And so to complete our analogy of the bath, the peace of God is the hair trap that is installed over the plug hole. The water of life's concerns flow through it and the hair of anxiety is trapped. And now instead of having to reach deep down into the plug hole to grab that single hair, instead it's the simplest of, simplest of things just to swipe those hairs and to chuck them in the bin. This is what happens when we make it a habit of letting our requests be made known to God. God installs his peace over that drain hole, over that plug hole, in order to keep it clear. And that peace is maintained. And it's a peace that is commanded because what God commands, God provides. Our anxious free life is based on the truth that the Lord is at hand. And because the Lord is at hand, we can truly rejoice in the Lord always. Because the Lord is at hand, we can let our gentleness and graciousness be, be made known to all. Because the Lord is at hand, we can let our requests be made known to God because the Lord is at hand the peace that God himself experiences the peace of knowing that he is sovereign over all things stands guard around our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus this was good news for Syntyche and Euodia in the middle of their conflict and this was good news for Paul in his jail cell and this is good news for you in whatever circumstance you find yourself in this is the peace of God that allows us to quit our flip-flopping and instead find our joy in Jesus.